0: broadcasting from the com, You're listening to Beyond the Movement with your host, Heidi Miller.
1: Hello and thank you for joining Beyond the Movement, the Plotties Podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Miller. Today we're going to be talking with Nicola Conrad lang and I had a request for this interview, um, I believe it was off the forum and that was a little while back. Nicola is a uh, author she lives in Michigan and she's the author of Survival Skills for Pilates Teachers and the Pilates Space. And both of those are amazing books. And definitely, um, Survival Skills for Pilates Teachers is uh, definitely a resource that you'll hold on to. And uh, should be, I believe, a requirement for all teachers uh, who are in training and and for those um, after training as well. We're going to be talking about the book today, especially about the section on mentors and mentorship. And also the subject of master teacher so here we go with Nicola thank you Nicola for joining me today how are you doing very well it's my
0: pleasure I'm really excited to be here
1: wonderful well why don't we start Nicola by you telling me a little bit about yourself and what brought you to Pilates and what inspired you to be an author
0: well, I was a dancer. I started dancing at a very young age um, when I was about five years old. And interestingly, my mother just told me last weekend that um, my doctor had said that he thought that I had a bit of a weak spine. I was a very skinny sort of little girl. And so the option was going to be dancing or swimming. And thankfully, she took me to ballet class and I just really fell in love with it and um, pursued it really vigorously and then I went to a full-time performing arts school in um, in London and really already in the last two years of my training I started having um, chronic lower back pain and in those days there was no conditioning available even for dancers um, so we were just kind of you know dancing all day long and hoping for the best and we thought we were strong and I was very hypermobile so I had a lot of lumbar and um, uh, issues with um, um, radiation into my leg and things like that, and then about five years into my performing career, it just um, really got a lot worse. I started having tingling, and um, one morning I just literally couldn't move anymore. And so they uh, diagnosed uh, a prolapsed disc L5 S1, and also protrusion on L5, L4, so I was sort of a mess and kind of desperate because I had to give up the love of my life, which was dancing, and I didn't really know very much what to do, you know, with myself outside of that, so I kind of went away and did other things for a few years, and I did a lot of rehab, which didn't help very much. And then I came to the States, and I met a friend um, who became a colleague of mine, and she certified in the STOP method two years prior, and she just looked at my body, and she said, oh my God, you're a mess, you know, you have to come in and do this, and so I started working with her, and uh, she was absolutely amazing and completely rehabilitated me, and today I can take ballet class. and. I can do Pilates and Gerotonic and lots of other movements without any pain, and I never had to have surgery. So
1: that's amazing.
0: That's how uh, that came to be. And at that time, I was also at university. I thought that you know, movement wasn't going to be part of my life anymore. I did a degree in communication and a master's as well in communication, and I thought I was going to go and get a corporate job. And then when I started doing more and more Pilates, I thought, oh, this is really, really what I. What I want to do is to work with people and work with dancers, and um, so that's kind of been my initial thrust, that I really wanted to work with, um, with dancers and make sure that they have long and healthy careers. So um, I started teaching, and I enjoyed it very much. And then something happened, Um, I moved back to Germany with my husband because he took a job there, and um, I hadn't had the experience to work in a big studio, so I thought I had a pretty good grasp on the exercises and the teaching, um, but I didn't really know much about how to interact with clients, with difficult clients, with running a studio and finances, cancellation policies, that sort of thing. And when I went to Journey, I just decided to open my own place. And um, my first encounter with a client was very complicated, which kind of two years later sort of made me want to write a book about it because I thought that maybe other people had had that sort of experience um, of not knowing how to deal with um, our clients, especially if there may be... Um, you know, needy on an emotional or physical level. And I really realized that we didn't have any training in that sort of thing at all. So I started interviewing all over, and
1: and so I wrote the first book. So what yeah. was your experience with your um, first client that really encouraged you and and made you aware of the need to, um, to research and to write this book?
0: Um, well, it was several things. The first thing was that, I was basically starting from scratch, and so I was very um, eager, you know, to to do well and to have the students do well and to get my teaching career off the ground. And so um, I think when we start out, we're very vulnerable to teaching clients that may not match our personalities very well because we basically are somehow a little bit forced to, you know, work with whatever comes along, even if maybe it's not a a very good fit for a variety of reasons. And so this particular woman, she was um, very successful. She was single. She was very much living sort of the jet-set life with, you know, sort of private planes and this and that. And um, she wanted to come every day. So all of a sudden, from having no clients, I had this client that was basically making up 100% of my income. Mm-hmm. Off the bat, <laughs> just like that. So, you know, I felt a lot of pressure also in terms of programming, because if you see someone every day, you know, it's hard to come up with something new and interesting, and she was also quite injured, and so I was sort of worried about that, and um, But she had such a crazy schedule and took such a toll on on my personality that she would call me something like 10, 15 times a day. Like I almost felt like I was, you know, one of the assistants of of a celebrity because she was just, you know, yeah. And it was like, you know, one minute, you know, I was the one she was telling everything, you know, from her private life to her business problems. And then the next minute, she would change her appointment five times a day. And I mean, I just got myself into this crazy crazy world you know she'd fly me out to places the teacher and my husband was just looking at me just thinking what are you doing but she really had a big uh, psychological
1: toll on me you know I was like this
0: rat jumping around And (laughs) and so after a year of this I and you know lots of sleepless nights I started looking into the therapeutic relationship and then I started discovering that you know, I needed to put up some boundaries, and and then you know her business went down the drain. I never got paid. Um, oh, I friend, friend for money. I mean, it was just a mess. So <laughs> that was my first
1: client. <laughs> I'm surprised you kept teaching after that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's great. But instead, so, you were inspired to then research and figure all this out and write a book, so nobody else would have to go through the, the same yes, uh, perils. I was
0: hoping you know, nobody would have quite such an extreme um, sort of situation, but I was certainly aware that there are the little things that everyone deals with when I talk to my friends as well, which is what you do with people that constantly cancel. Some teachers are extremely straightforward with it, and in terms of their policies, but the implementation is very, very difficult for yes. a lot of women especially because um, we, we want to help, we have a relationship with that person, and of course it always happens sometimes. You know, it can, it can happen that some something goes wrong and, you know, or, or an appointment gets canceled because of an emergency. But I was talking about those people that, really make you, you know, jump and switch and change, and you just feel like they don't respect your time.
1: Absolutely.
0: So that was, you know, one thing that I thought probably many people had. And um, I also talked to a lot of massage therapists because they face a lot of the same issues. And so I thought that probably most body workers in some way or another um, who are helpers but somehow also themselves, we have a big, big need of being liked.
1: I mm-hmm. think that's
0: one of the reasons why we go into this profession, possibly. I think it sets us up for, um, you know, a lot of grief sometimes in terms of dealing with people. And
1: Absolutely. Well, boundaries. I, exactly. I was just, just going to say that I think it's really important. It's a learning experience for all of us. Who are those little helpers who want you know everyone to like us and who are out there helping everybody f- to really learn how to set those boundaries and I know for me, I have found that the first time that I finally said to somebody you know as nice as they were. And they didn't have an excuse for canceling. And I just said in the conversation, thank you so much for calling me and letting me know. I will let you know, however, that you will be charged for this appointment. And after the first time, it seemed, you know, and that was a client that I was, I really felt like we were friends. And it, after that, I just felt so liberated, you know, and after the, it just yeah. got easier. You know, every time it just gets easier. And then, um, yeah. you know, yeah. I make yeah. it now part of the um, something that they sign in the beginning that they actually have to initial um, in two different places in regards to the cancellation policy, you know, (laughs) and I even have this sign up. I mean, I really went overboard, but, you know, it says something like in honor of your time and mine is how it starts. I thought that's really, that's really nice. And I actually borrowed that, um, from my Reiki, uh, master. She had that on her desk. I thought that's a really nice way to put it in honor of your time and mine. And, you know, then they realized that, you know, it is, it is really an honor of time and, and not just, Uh, just about them when they cancel an appointment.
0: Exactly. And, you know, one of the issues I had when I first started teaching is that the studio was in my house. And so there is this thing where if you work from your house, people think that if they don't show up, you know, you'll just go and do laundry or something. Sure. It doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That it's not as bad to cancel on someone who works from home Right cancel on someone. So, um, yes, I absolutely agree. And I think it's it's once you, you do it that first time and, you know, you, you jump over it, then really people don't leave. I mean, I think it's very rare that somebody will, you know, just right. and never come back, especially if you've had a long relationship, but they will try. And mm-hmm. if, I think if you give in once or twice, it's really hard to reverse the process.
1: Yes. Well, I always, you know, if some, sometimes if they don't remember they signed, I'll say, uh, let this be your warning, but next time, and I'll sometimes even get out the intake form and show them the little initials that they had initialed on that exact policy. And I'll say, I'll give you yeah. one, you know, one warning, but after that, that's it. You know, and then I stay, I stay strict with that. I don't give them any more warnings besides that. And, and I've even gotten that to the point difficult. where, you know, when they call and they're talking and it's a conversation and they go, well, I can't come in today because my daughter, blah, 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 you know, I'm, Sometimes I just don't even say within the conversation, you know, it doesn't even need to be said that they're going to be charged for that appointment because, you know, you can just just know, they just know, Mm -hmm. they just, they get to the point that they know that, you know, if they want to cancel, especially when they cancel two or three hours before the appointment, you know, and they, then they know that they're going to get charged for it. So,
0: yeah. So, So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It seems like almost like a rite of passage a little bit. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I think so. I think it really is. One yeah, of the other, or, you know, if you
0: have to let go of a client, also. I, oh, absolutely. I, I had a very hard, you know, it's it, that's also a very difficult thing, and I don't think it happens very often. But I'm not quite sure if people are really aware that if they keep cancelling on you, or you feel like you're not being treated with respect, at yes. some level we build up aggression.
1: Oh yes. <laughs> and, you
0: know, at some point I was really asking and wondering, you know, how do you think I feel? working with you now and trying to let go of what it is that I'm feeling? Do you really want your body in my hands
1: right now? Right. you know, I'm mad at you. (laughs) How did they (laughs) respond to that? Yes, yeah. So did did she end up staying a client with you or did she end up going somewhere else?
0: She uh, was very interesting because when I said that to her, because I literally had to stop the session because I just thought, you know, I just can't go through with this you know mm-hmm. I can't touch you right now and when I explained it that way she just looked at me and she got up and she said I really have to think about this and she left and I thought well that's an interesting reaction <laughs> yeah. and then she called two days later and she said I, I understand you know I'm sorry but um, I of course went through hell before I was able to to oh, say sure that to
1: her, so <laughs> yeah <laughs> many sleepless so, nights, I'm sure exactly, so you know that
0: that wasn't an easy one, but it it turned out it turned out good, so I just wish I would have had you know the guts to say it right,
1: sort of but now earlier. of course it's it's easier probably now for you to to face those yes. things and much easier yeah. and after the, the first book time.
0: has really helped, especially because I got so much feedback from people that you know. I read it because this book was really a completely sort of, you know, I just said, I have to write this book. I don't know if anybody's ever going to buy it or read it. And it really didn't matter, you know, but right. I just really wanted to go out and ask all these people that had been in the business for so long, you know, how they dealt with it and if they had the same issues and if it, 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 they did, you know.
1: Yes. Well, I definitely think that this book uh, should be a part of every program out there, because like you said, we really don't get taught on the client practitioner relationship. And one of the um, chapters um, you write about is on mentorship and the importance (laughs) of mentorship. And I think especially in regards to this this conversation, when we do get done with the training program, you know, we are kind of just left on our own to go out there and and make uh, do with it what we have. But it is important to um, seek out a mentor and and, and to keep continuing to develop our our practice. And how would you describe um, mentorship for us?
0: Um, for me, the uh, mentorship is it's quite interesting um, because I, I sort of looked it up because I was wondering about the word a little bit. And um, I found out that it's actually um, from the Odyssey and um, mentor was the person that um, Ulysses left his son with when he went on his travel. So he was a very wise, older man um, that was also um, his son's tutor. And um, that's how the whole idea of mentorship began. Generally, it is usually a, a, either an older person or a person with a lot of experience. Um, the word wisdom comes up very much. So somebody who has seen a lot and... Um, is somehow balanced in, in decisions and advice. And the other important thing about uh, mentorship is that it is usually um, an agreement between two people that does not involve any remuneration, so there should not be any payment for mentorship. It is really um, an interpersonal relationship between a person that takes someone else under their wing to somehow foster, you know, their career, their understanding and and their learning path. So um, I thought that that was quite interesting that it was such an old old term in a way. And um, right now it seems like especially in business um, and in corporate world, Um, I did a check on the Internet, and, I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, being a mentor is now the new way that um, corporations try to have um, some sort of a link between the older generation and the younger, which I think is quite interesting because in the last 15 years, you know, there was this surge of, older managers just being fired because the new ones came in, you know, that would work a hundred hours a week or whatever. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you have no legacy, you know? So I think that mentorship is also about keeping um, a legacy alive, which I think carries through to Pilates certainly because, um, you know, we we do have a a culture and a respect for for the elders that works with him. And the PMA is really trying to keep the original work alive. alive in a historical context. And um, so I think it ties in really well. Absolutely.
1: Dating. And what would you say yeah. some of the um, importance of having a mentor as a young teacher? What are some of the important values of having a mentor?
0: I was really um, interested to find that in the health profession, um, mentors are actually required um, for nurses or for psychologists especially if they deal with very complicated cases because um, the issue between the practitioner or um, a health provider and their patients is that there is a real division of power so in a very much more slighter way, I think we have the same thing, especially if you're involved with rehabilitation, with maybe teaching people that have been, you know, jumped through all the hoops and nothing has helped and that they're in a lot of pain. I think that even though we are teachers of movement and not doctors or physical therapists, I think that still we need to be aware that we are not the same when we meet them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and um, the role of a mentor then is basically like a check for the practitioner. So you work with your client, and then once a month or every two months, you will talk to your mentor who is this older, wiser, or very experienced person, and you basically tell them what it is that you have been doing, and you it's like a check for you whether you're still working within ethical boundaries, Um whether you're not harming yourself or the client, and also it's for you to vent, you know, to get it off your chest. And um, I think probably for Reiki, you know, you know, or any massage therapist will tell you that, you know, if you take someone else's tension or, or, or stress on you, you also need to find a way to let go of that. So I think that a mentor can, can have that role as well.
1: Absolutely. So the, the role of the mentor is it's a really important role. And, and a lot of times by being a good mentor to many students over years, you end up becoming a master teacher. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that that's an important topic um, that you also discuss in the book on, on what is a master teacher? What defines a master teacher?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like, for example, when I—I I, I really thought that izakovit is you know, sort of embodies that role of the master teacher just because when I saw him teach and speak, I really believed him that he was living what he was teaching with every fiber of his body and his being. And I think that that's a big part of being a master teacher. I think that it is— um, A philosophy of life, it's not just something that you do, you know, to make more money or because the business is booming or that sort of thing, Um, or because you're charismatic. I think uh, very often today, master teachers tend to become those that have a lot of appeal to a broad base of people.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And uh, so if you're a good speaker, you know, if you are charismatic, if you're funny, especially now with all the big conferences being out, I think that sometimes you get propelled to being a master teacher just because you draw a crowd. But I think that a master teacher is a teacher first, and that means that they um, have a lot of experience, that they um, really don't see themselves in the center but that the work is the center and somehow they are mediators between the student and the work. And um, I think that today, you know, with all the media and the pictures and the videos, I think it's very much person-oriented.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: even Even in Pilates or especially in Pilates as it got, you know, booming, basically, you know, if you were linked to a celebrity or, you know, that kind of thing, you try to put more the person into the into the middle than something else and i think you see it also with um um you know what people do in terms of including their name in the pilates method as a company name you know Mm -hmm. so if i start calling you know this is the nicola conrad's method of pilates right (laughs) i'm putting myself in the middle instead of the work.
1: Absolutely. Or well, a philosophy. I, yes. I think that the responsibility of a master teacher is so important, in fact, in that the the whole um, term used as master teacher is starting to lose its meaning because of programs out there that are being developed that in five years' time or even six years' time you can um, have the title of a master teacher just by going through Uh, you know, a set amount of coursework. And I think rather than earning the title by a certification course, I think it's important to earn the title through years of experience, through living the method, by being the mentor that passes information on um, through the method, like you said, as being the mediator, rather than just having the title of master teacher because they've completed a program. Yes.
0: And I also think that... um... You know, I think that the experience and, and, and the knowledge are very, very important, but I also think if you are a master teacher, you need to have some sort of assessment in place to see if your students understood and grasped what it is that you were teaching. Because, you know, somebody the other day said to me um, up at the boarding school where I teach, I said, well, my students had a great time, but did they, did they remember or, or learn anything? you know, because right. I think we're so we're so sort of hooked on that everybody has to have a jolly good time all the time, but then, you know, we don't go back and we say, well, did you grasp what I think is really essential about this?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. No, you know, did you not? And I think that's an, that's an assessment method, and it's not easy, and I think that most Pilates corporations have a really hard time now with their quality control of teachers. Um, it seems like the material that's tested in the exams gets less and less because more and more people want to have access to it. Um, there are certain, you know, companies that will only teach you 15 exercises and tell you, you know, now you're a certified teacher, but this is all that we trust you to walk out with
1: from mm-hmm. here. Absolutely. And
0: so then, you know, if you don't teach a method in its entirety, is it still a method and does it work? Absolutely. I don't know. Probably (laughs) not. I would say that with 12 exercises, um, you know, you're probably not equipped in terms of modifications and all sorts of things to deal with a very wide variety of of people across the board, you know?
1: Absolutely. I I
0: think uh, that's that's a, I think a method needs to be taught entirely and I think that that's sort of going down the drain a little
1: bit. Well, I know, um, you know, there are definitely schools um, around here, especially that um, really uphold, you know, the whole process of learning the entire method in, in its entirety. And, and um, you know, I think here in Colorado, I can speak for that. You know, we have some really <laughs> great schools here um, who really do teach an entire, you know, in the entirety and, you know, I think the PMA is doing an amazing job of really trying to uphold, you know, the certification process and 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 to try to make this, you know, not the programs that are out there only teaching 12 exercises, but to really have the whole experience uh, in that. Mm-hmm. So I think um, that we're definitely moving in that direction uh, with um, some really solid schools that are um, Right. I just think following in that, we that. We big problem with assessment
0: and you know, is why we then when there's so many people that need to be assessed, basically you end up going into this multiple choice realm of things. You know. And mm-hmm. so it's like, okay, I'm taking this test and you know, most the research on learning today will tell you that really multiple choice does not test what it's meant to test and I think especially in terms of teaching practitioners, is that really the way we want to go
1: in terms of
0: making sure that that what goes out. And then I think, again, there a mentor comes in really brilliantly because you can check with somebody who's a human and who can really give you feedback um, if you have that support system. And I think that that would be a really nice thing for these big organizations to set up. Um, is that people can, you know, have somebody to talk to that's not, you know, thousands of miles away.
1: Exactly. And one of the other, um, uh, just going back to um, a master teacher, one of the other traits that a master teacher has is that they never stop learning. Yes. They continue to learn.
0: I think that, um, that sort of personal growth desire comes out of, the fact that when you are so skilled and have spent so many years refining your understanding of movement and a particular method, I think that it's like, you know, you, you how do you say that in English? You know, when you open a can of worms, it's like, you know, yes. you, you think that you grasp something, and especially with the body, and then, you know, you start looking into, I don't know, maybe lymphatic things or hormonal things or, or, or organ things and how all of that relates to movement. It's just absolutely endless because, you know, we, we really know so little about the body and and so I think that especially for movement teachers that have been involved so long, probably self-growth is a thing that comes really naturally to them, you know, it's their master teachers. To
1: do. Absolutely. They
0: probably discover something. I mean, Rael said, you know, in the interview that when even when he's in a small hotel room and he lies out his mat, you know, between the bathroom and, you know, and the, and the room and he does his exercises in the mornings is that he's, he's able to find something new every day, Yes. depending on how he feels, what he has seen, what he has experienced. And I think to keep that interest alive uh, takes a really special
1: person. I agree. And, and with that, I think that it, in general, it takes a really special person, to become a master teacher. I don't think that everybody has a desire. And I think that not everybody yeah. um, has what it takes to be a master teacher. I, that's why I think that, you know, to be given the title master teacher, it really has to be earned, you know, and, and in a way that yeah. the teacher doesn't even realize, hey, I just became a master teacher. It's it's a selfless act. It becomes, you know, a part of, you know, uh, as your philosophy grows and as your experience grows and your passion for what you're teaching and as you keep unlayering yourself through the process and each time you unlayer a new idea and you pass it on to other teachers or to your students you know you start to build you know this process of where all of a sudden one day you wake up and maybe somebody just offhandedly said you know called you master teacher but you never really felt like you you were were mm-hmm. a master teacher it's not something i don't think i don't think that people um Mindfully try to work towards that, at least not the real master teachers. I think the ones who become the real master teachers are the ones who are doing it selflessly and um, just it is who they are. It is who they become because of their passion and their their growth experience and how every time that they do do their own workouts, they find something new. and every time they teach a class, they find something new and and never as a teacher can you ever be in the place of saying, "I know everything. You know, I think you always have to be, uh, you know, in the in the in the place of of learning and saying, well, today, my experience is this, you know, today, this is my philosophy, or, you know, we can find the root of our own philosophy, but the tree keeps growing, you know, and, and there's many leaves to that tree.
0: Because, I mean, I really think what's great about, you know, that kind of guideline for, you know, recognizing a master teacher or see or, yeah, recognizing one when you see one is that I think that as a master teacher, you accept that, you know, as a human being, you are evolving constantly. And so also your learning process has to go with it. You're never the same from one day to the next. And so, you know, it really, it, it, it's never ending. And I think that they... They relish in that, and that's why they're so good, because they never just sit down and say, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> that's it, done, I've got it.
1: Absolutely. And I also
0: think that um, part of that, because that's basically what, you know, makes up just a, a really great teacher, is that they will develop following really without trying, in a way. You know, and I think in the yoga tradition, you, you have that a lot. There's this, you know, people are drawn to that kind of thing um hopefully for all the good reasons especially you know it's along with um the experience and the knowledge and being able to assess what they're teaching and the growth the personal growth is if if it's a healthy student environment if it's respectful i think a master teacher should meet students where they're at and um recognize that they also come with a life experience you know and um Probably some preconceptions and to be able to meet them and inspire them to walk the path of, of knowing their bodies, I think, is also a really, you know, a, a great treat is when you find a master teacher, but you'll find people that will talk about them like this.
1: Absolutely. Well, I want to use um, something that uh, Ro had said in the book that, you know, what makes this person unique is often intangible. And they seem to stand out as jewels in the crown and are considered mm-hmm. as such by their peers. And that's simply what you had said. But I liked his words that he had used in your book when you had yes. interviewed uh, interviewed him. And, um, you know, you can certainly um, feel his passion even within your interview. And you can certainly feel your passion in this book as you wrote this book and just the experience that you had and and your growth as you were interviewing people and, and the people that you chose to interview were obviously um, people who were the jewels in the crown as well. And um, it's a marvelous book. And I have certainly enjoyed reading it, um, not once, but twice. And and I'm considering keep, you know, it's a resource you can keep looking back at and um, in another interview, we can talk a little bit more about your other book, The Pilates Space, but I certainly sure. have enjoyed our conversation and I'm sure that we'll have many more in the future around um, around some topics that are really important in this book. So I would encourage um, everyone out there to, um, to buy this book, Survival Skills for Pilates Teachers. Um, So, Nicola, thank you so much um, for being um, on the air with me today. And if anybody would like to be in contact with you to ask you any questions, what's the best way for them to contact you?
0: Um, I am actually just in the process of relaunching my website. So it's it's up now, but hopefully it will be all new and revamped and with more information. And my little company is called Logo Kinesis. That's L-O-G-O and then K-I-N-E-S-I-S dot com. And um, there's lots of ways to get in touch and send me emails. And um, I always look forward to um, people reading the book and telling me what they think. And it's been a really good um, community building experience for me. So thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. And um, do you have any other books in the future that you can discuss with us today?
0: Um, Right now, I am actually in the process of um, writing a whole series of articles for the British Body Control um, Association, who will be launching a big website in January, I believe. And so I'm going to go more into sort of um, smaller entities um, of things and also more into the exercise uh, realm of things i've been starting to play with the roll down bar so that's my new baby i've been trying to make up new and different things and use more bilateral equilateral movement um, and integrate it in the pilates practice because i thought it's really helped me a lot with my um, pelvic stability so i look forward to doing that right now there is no pilates book in the
1: Pipeline. So. Great. <laughs> maybe I need another
0: experience with a crazy client. Yeah, <laughs> makes me write another one. Yeah, no
1: kidding. So. Well, let's hope not. Let's let's hope that it's just another growing process of, of maybe something that. Um, you know that is a is really positive you know that then encourages the so, next book yeah. <laughs> or maybe you can just be on the podcast <laughs> oh thank you well i'm hoping you know i know that you're going to you're an inspiration for all and and maybe um some of us out here who are so inspired by the Plotties method and and are so passionate about it maybe all of us have a book just waiting inside of ourselves that we can uh then um um, bring out of ourselves and, and, uh, yes, and get... Yeah, that's actually
0: something we definitely have on our on our website. My husband, Jens, um, consults teachers all over, whether they just want to talk to someone or have an idea to open a studio or you know, have some kind of legal terms they want to talk about. So we just kind of want to be a bit of the friendly ear of the community and it's been really great because people from all states have called us and uh, we have also um helped one person, um, Donna Gambino, who wrote the, the foam roller book. It's called On a Roll at Home. We um, consulted her and the publication of that. So definitely if there's a book and people that they, that they don't know quite how to get out, I mean, self-publishing is a great way to do it, and I highly encourage them. If they need some help, they can just give us, send us
1: an email. That's wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for joining me today, and I'll look forward to talking with you again um, in the future about um, about some more topics in your book and also talking about your other book. Thank you so much, Heidi. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed the interview. And um, those two books are also available online on the bookstore at www.thepilatespodcast.com. And I also want to take the opportunity to thank you, um, uh, heartfelt thanks, to all those who emailed me after my last podcast when I had asked for some emails. Um, I am overwhelmed with how many I have received, so thank you very much, and I've very much enjoyed them, and I hope that they keep coming. And um, if you'd like to email me, any of you out there, it's Heidi, H-E-I-D-I, at com. And I have received a couple other suggestions and I am following up on those as well. So thanks again for listening and we'll be talking with you again next time. I'm your host, Heidi Miller.